Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Specifically, go ahead and follow EthosFantasyBB. That is where all of our new baseball and fantasy baseball content will be released throughout this offseason podcasts, articles, different things over on the Twitter side. So make sure you drop a follow there. You're never missing any of our new stuff. Now, today we are going to be looking back on some of these moves that have happened over the last 24 hours. We're going to talk about Tyler Anderson. We're going to talk Anthony Rizzo. We're going to talk some Bryce Harper because there's news on his injury as well. But we are going to start off today with, I think, the big news, uh, Teoscar Hernandez. He was traded to the Mariners this morning. As a Blue Jay fan, I'm really not happy with the return that we got. I think it's pretty underwhelming. We got back Eric Swanson and Adam Mako. So let's start with Teoscar Hernandez here. He has one year left on his contract, and then he is going to be a free agent. There's been a lot of banter on Twitter this morning about whether or not this was a good trade. And a lot of smart people that I really respect in the industry think it's a good trade for the Blue Jays. There's some trade... um, what are those trade calculators, not trade calculators, but you know those trade apps where you can put deals together. There's one account on Twitter that says that the Mariners actually overpaid for Teoscar Hernandez. I think that that's kind of crazy, to be honest with you, considering that he is still an all-star level outfielder. He had a bit of a down year this year, and it was still 25 home runs and 77 RBIs. If you look at what he did the last two seasons, 2020 and 2021, he was an all-star both years. There are problems with his game for sure. Um, you know, his BABIP has been really high these last couple of seasons. He doesn't walk a ton. Uh, the strikeout percentage is maybe a bit higher than you would like it to be. Uh, there are definitely problems there. His defense is not good. He is really, truly a liability in right field for the Blue Jays. There's a lot of times where the ball went his way, and you're thinking, like, Jesus, please just don't let it go by you. Don't draw. You know, there's you worry whenever the ball is hit to Teoscar Hernandez. So from that perspective, sure. I mean, it's not like we have a ton of outfielders who are going to be able to play a lot as of right now. We are going to have to make a move here. Uh, George Springer may end up being the right fielder. There's talk about bringing in Brandon Nimmo. I think it's okay, I guess. But, you know, I don't think he's an upgrade over Teoscar. I think he is probably a downgrade. And there's been talks about the money he's going to get, five years, close to $100 million. That's ridiculous to me. You know, you're getting somebody who is truly offensively not as good as Teoscar. Uh, sure, he gets on base more, he walks more, but if we're just looking, you know, in a vacuum, who is a better offensive player? It's Teoscar Hernandez. Now, Brandon Nimmo can play center field. That's something that's going to have to come into play here. If the Blue Jays do sign him, he'll likely play in center, I think. Springer in right, and then Gurriel in left, I guess. I, I don't know what the moves are going to be that follow this. They freed up a little bit of cap, or not cap room, but have freed up a little bit of money. I think it's like $12 million or something like that. 
Losing to Oscar, I'm, I'm not happy about it from a Blue Jays perspective. Offensively, it's going to make us worse. Even though he did have a bit of a down year, you're still losing 25 home runs and 77 RBIs. Nimmo's not going to come in and hit you 25 home runs. He'll get on base a bit more. It's a trade-off. Overall, I mean, and this is assuming we're going to get Nimmo. We may not get Brandon Nimmo. We may be shit out of luck and end up having to get, you know, whoever, Ramon Laureano or somebody else. I don't know who it's going to be exactly. But right now, I don't really like it. Probably not Loriano, I guess. They're trying to get left-handed bats. But as of right now, Blue Jays' perspective there, losing to Oscar, I, I can't really get behind it. Seattle's got, you know, a ton of out. I think they have five viable outfielders now. Julio, they have Hanniger, who I think is a free agent. They have Teoscar. They have Kyle Lewis. They have Jared Kelenic, uh, Jesse Winker as well. Like, there is a lot going on in their outfield. So there's going to have to be some moves made. Jesse Winker, they've talked about for a while now, the last few weeks, that he wasn't really well-liked in the clubhouse. Uh, they don't particularly care for him, so I think that was kind of expected he was going to get moved. And when they first announced that Teoscar got traded, a lot of people on Twitter were initially speculating, it's probably Jesse Winker and somebody else coming back to Toronto. Then they said it was a reliever, and we were thinking, oh, God, like let it be Andres Munoz. He's one of my, you know, I talked about him the other day. Uh, I've talked about him a lot throughout the season. I love Andres Munoz. I think that that would have been probably an acceptable return for me. Maybe that would have been too much for Seattle to give up. I don't know. What we got does not feel great. And let's start looking at the return here. Eric Swanson. Now, he had an incredible season this year. He threw 53 innings. He pitched to a 168 ERA. He was striking out a ton of batters, 34% strikeout rate, less than 5% walk rate. 200 was the opposing average against, I think... There's some trouble here, though. Like, we look at the, just this last season, and we think, okay, he is a fantastic, he's an elite reliever, whatever. If you start looking back at his first couple of years in the league, I know people grow and change, you know, different things happen from pitchers. Uh, they get better, they get worse, whatever. It, it, they're not always going to be the same as when they start out, for sure. But his first couple of years in the league, we're looking at, and granted, the first year, not a lot. But, I mean, 58 innings, it's enough. Uh, he had a 574 ERA. In the short season, he pitched nine games. He had a 1291 ERA last season in 2021, 35 innings, and he had a 331 ERA. He's fine. He's gotten better for sure, but he also had, you know, massive jump in his strikeout rate this year. He had been a 21 to 24% guy. This year he was 34. He'd always walked between, you know, 5 and 7% of batters. Now he's below 5. I'm not totally sold that after one good season, we can all of a sudden say, yeah, Eric Swanson is a, an elite reliever. He's not. He had one really good year where he actually lost velocity on average. In 2021, his fastball was averaging 94.8. This year, 93.7. His slider last year averaging 86.3. This year, 85. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really not looking at this and saying this is a fantastic return, this is a great return, or even that this is an even return because Swanson is the main piece here. Uh, we'll talk about the other pitcher in a second, Adam Mako, but he's a single-A pitcher. He's quite a, quite a ways away here. For a team that is in win-now mode, like the Blue Jays supposedly are, this doesn't make a lot of sense. If your plan was to go build, you know, get relievers, I guess you might have had to spend a lot seeing the way the market has shaped up these last couple of days, but you got you to gotta look at this as an overpay. I don't think we can look at it as anything but, especially with the news from some Toronto beat reporters and beat writers that there was multiple offers on the table, three or four offers. If this was the best offer we could have gotten, I'm very surprised. I think that they, I mean, it was a real-life sell-high, buy-low kind of situation on Swanson. One fantastic year where, yes, his FIP was below two. Uh, the expected numbers, the pitching indicators, I should say, were, were very good. 
272 XFIP, 230 XERA. I'm just not really convinced that this is going to be something that we can expect to carry over year after year. The volatility with relievers in general is very, very high. You can see an elite guy turn into a shit guy really quickly. We have a guy who was pretty middling, have a really great year, and then we sold an all-star for him, an all-star silver slugger for him. I, I don't like it. I really don't like it. From a fantasy point of view, Teoscar, I don't think, changes too much. He's going around pick 60. I think that he's still going to go around pick 60. He's in another really good lineup. Now, it's not a great park, but I think it's worse on lefties, if I, if I recall correctly there. And I don't think we can really you know expect bad things from Teoscar. I think that it'll be pretty comparable to what we would have expected in Toronto. So going around pick 60 there, uh, that feels fine. Swanson's not going to be somebody that we're drafting. Maybe you take a, a late flyer on him in a draft champions. Maybe if there's injuries in Toronto, he could work his way up, get some you know more high leverage opportunities. But I, I'm not loving it. I'm really not loving it. The other side of the trade here, not the other side, the other piece of the trade coming back to Toronto, Adam Mako. So he's 21 years old. He was in high A this year, and he pitched to a 3.99 ERA. Uh, the pitching indicators, he had a 3.77 FIP, 3.21 XFIP. That's all right. I mean, we're talking high A here. I think he's the Mariners' eighth best prospect. I think that's what it was. You would have hoped for a little bit more in high A. If you're starting here, you got a four ERA. Uh, and the year before, he was in low A, uh, 459. Uh, you, you know, you expect those numbers to get a little bit worse as you go up the levels a little bit. It, maybe they get better. He has a massive strikeout numbers, striking out more than 14 guys per nine. He was also walking nearly five guys per nine, though. So, you know, the good with the bad there for sure. Uh, I, I don't really expect much out of him. Eric Cross is the person that I, I trust quite a bit on prospects. And from what he was talking about this morning, I just want to pull up his his tweet real quick just so I don't misquote him. But I believe he said that best case scenario, we're probably looking at a bullpen guy here. Uh, like, you know, let, let me just pull it up here real quick to see what he said. Um, Mako has decent stuff, but probably is a reliever long term. So we're getting a guy who is projected to be a reliever who probably won't be in the major leagues for another three seasons, two, three seasons. It doesn't look like a win-now move for Toronto. I, I'm very perplexed by why they would do this. And I guess we kind of have to reserve judgment until we know what Toronto is going to do with that money. What they, you know, I've heard some people joke that, oh, no, Aaron Judge can come play right field for Toronto. It's not going to happen. That's not what the money is going to be used for. I'd be pretty happy if it was, but obviously it's not going to happen. Uh, we have to kind of just wait and see, I guess. My initial reaction is very negative to this trade. I think that it's a poor move, uh, really, for a team that is hoping to just keep building. Maybe, you know, add a couple pieces this year and then let him walk in the offseason if you do well enough to trade him. you gotta get, you got to do better than this. Uh, for a year of Teoscar, which is probably 25, 30 home runs, 80-plus RBIs, and, you know, around a 300 average, maybe 280, 275, but close to 300, that is a huge asset in the middle of your order that you really, truly have to replace now. Now the pressure is on Toronto to go out and sign somebody and replace him, or trade, of course. They could trade. But if they don't, then they're really screwed. If the market dries up quicker than they expect for outfielders, Nimmo signs somewhere else, whoever else is gone, then it's it's not going to be pretty. Uh, there's not somebody who's in the wings who can really step up and play every day in the outfield right now. Whit Merrifield, Kevin Biggio, not really confidence-inspiring players there uh, playing 130, 140 games in the outfield. Not really great uh, as far as I see it for Toronto on this trade. I'm pretty upset, pretty disappointed. But it is what it is, I guess. We'll have to just see what they do. 
Now, the next piece of news I think is worth talking about is Bryce Harper. Now, he's going to have an elbow procedure uh, next Wednesday, so a week from today. He's going to have an elbow procedure, and they have not ruled out if it's going to be Tommy John. Now, Tommy John, when you hear that in baseball, you immediately think a year, a year and a half. With batters, it's not the same as it is for pitchers. They tend to come back a lot quicker. I think Otani was like seven months, and he was able to come back and DH after Tommy John. So, you know, he's maybe not going to be ready for the beginning of the season. And this is kind of what I was talking about when I did my rankings last month and I had him at 21st. And I had a couple people message me, say, how, how could Bryce Harper not be in your first round? It was really just that. It was the risk of maybe he's going to miss some time. Is he going to be able to play the field? That was the basis for my skepticism. Now, I don't think that he should be a first round pick anymore. I didn't, I didn't going into this. But certainly now, I don't think he should be a first-round pick. His ADP is 14.39. His minimum pick was 6, maximum 23. I really don't think that we can take him in the first two rounds anymore. I had him ranked as 21 on my rankings, which came out about a month ago. Next update, he's going to be probably in the 30s. I don't think that we can take him that high up, considering that he might miss two weeks, he might miss a month, he might miss two months. We really don't know, and drafting guys who are going to be injured going into the season is always kind of a no-no. Sometimes you might do it, but it's really risky, specifically in the first two rounds. We really don't know what we're getting ourselves into. There's also the fact that he's not going to have outfield eligibility whenever it is that he does return. Uh, I don't think they're going to push him, put him right back in the outfield when he's ready or when he first comes off the injured list. I think that they're going to DH him predominantly like they did this year, and maybe we see him get outfield eligibility down the stretch at some point. August, September kind of area. But heading into the year, he is going to just be a utility-eligible injured guy coming off of probably Tommy John surgery. And I think, yes, it's not as scary as if it was a pitcher, but it's still a huge red flag for me with Bryce Harper, and he's not somebody that I can really be comfortably taking in those first two rounds. If he slips into the 30s, you know, he's going mid-30s or something, then I'll be more interested. But as of right now, like at 15, there's no chance I can take him in the first round. Too many unknowns. Too much risk associated there for me to, to be any sort of comfortable doing that. Let's talk about Tyler Anderson, who pretty much killed his fantasy value by signing with the Angels. I mean, good for him. I think it was three years, $39 million. Uh, let's see. I think that was. I think those were the terms. Uh, yeah, three years, $39 million to go to the Angels. Now, I was already going to be probably fading him heading into next year. His price is not particularly high. Uh, it was like in the mid 200 range. Uh, his ADP as of right now is 260, with the minimum pick being 182, maximum being 321. We can't take him anymore. He's undraftable as far as I'm concerned. If you're in you know, those 15-team draft champions where you have to draft 50 players, sure, he's going to be drafted still. But if you're talking your standard 12, 10-team leagues, there's absolutely no point in taking a chance on Tyler Anderson. There already probably wasn't going to be before outside of one of your last couple of picks. But going to a team that just kills pitching like the Angels do, I can't do it. And I don't think you guys should either. He had an amazing season this year. He threw a career high, 178 innings. He had 15 victories. He only lost five games. It looked like a renaissance for Tyler Anderson. But I don't think we can expect that pitching for the Angels. You know, pitching for the Dodgers, you're going to luck into some more wins. He was good this year, but he also outperformed his, his expected metrics. Uh, 310 XERA, 331 FIP, 411 XFIP, and he had a 257 ERA. Going to the Angels is going to be a nightmare, I think. 
and I don't want anything to do with Tyler Anderson. And maybe, you know, you're talking, like we said, those 15-team really deep leagues. You're still going to draft him, but you shouldn't be doing it before pick like 400 at this point. For me, I think it's it really doesn't make any sense. you got to look at the career numbers still, and it's something we did with Eric Swanson. You still have to look. You can't just look at the most recent example of what a guy did and say, this is who he is, specifically with Tyler Anderson. I mean, he's a guy where over his career, he's well over four ERA guy. Strikeouts, never been huge for him. He's like a 20% guy for the career. He's been below 20% the last three seasons. He got the control uh, under control this season, walking less than 5% of batters. Last year was just over five. It's something that he seems to have corrected a little bit. But there's no reason that I see, based on his player makeup, based on what we know he can do, to draft him anywhere specifically we're talking you know your shallower home leagues 10 and 12 team leagues which is I know I've talked a lot about the NFBC recently because that's all the data we have to go on but I still do focus mostly on your 10 and 12 team leagues and Tyler Anderson in those leagues he's not somebody that you can draft if you want to take him with your very last pick maybe but even then I think it's way too high I think there's a lot more uh, upside that you can speculate on and I think that Tyler Anderson is going to end up being drafted a lot higher than he should have. Whoever drafted him uh, in that 180 range, I think, yeah, 180 exactly, or 182, sorry, 182, they're going to be disappointed. There's just no chance that he holds value on the Angels. Bad team, bad at developing pitching. I saw someone talk yesterday about how this makes the Angels a top five rotation in baseball now. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. I really don't. That is just so ludicrous. They are, as Rob Silver said hilariously, they are probably a top five rotation in the American League West. They are they're terrible. They're a terrible pitching staff. They don't know what they're doing. Of course, there's Otani. Patrick Sandoval has shown flashes. I like him here and there. And honestly, I do like Patrick Sandoval probably more than consensus. But to say that they're a top five rotation because of Tyler Anderson is just ridiculous. Um, I don't even know who it was that said it. But, like, it's just, it's not true. Tyler Anderson is still that four ERA guy who lucked into a really good season playing for one of the best teams that we've seen in baseball history in terms of their wins and in terms of their run differential. They're one of the best teams we had ever seen. They won 111 games, and he was pretty lucky. So, overall, Tyler Anderson has got to be a big fade for me heading into next season. Anthony Rizzo, he went back to New York. Uh, I think he signed a two-year extension. I think there's, a, there's an option in there as well. Um, it's a two-year contract that has a club option for 2025. It's worth $40 million, uh, $17 million in each of the first two seasons, and there's a $17 million option with a $6 million buyout. This is a really good piece of news for Anthony Rizzo's fantasy value. I was a little bit worried about him uh, when we did our first base review shows. I was a little bit concerned. You know, he's benefited, I think, from that short porch in Yankee Stadium. He hit 32 home runs this year, which tied a career high. It's actually pretty funny, too. Uh, 32 home runs. He's done that four times. He's never been able to get over 32. Uh, he did it in 2014, 2016, 2017, and now 2022. He's also hit 31. I think that that's what we can kind of expect. In the 30 home run range playing at Yankee Stadium, that's probably what we're, we're going to see from him. Uh, the batting average has fallen off quite a bit over the last couple of seasons. Early in his career, he was a 270 to 290 kind of hitter. Last couple of years, he's been more 240 range, and this season it was 224. And batting, I think he's going to be about the same. Like batting average probably be about the same. Uh, 32 home runs, sure. 75 ribbies, sure. 77 runs. It all feels pretty repeatable. Uh, him staying in pinstripe. So I, I think that Anthony Rizzo. The concern that I had was more with him going to a different team in a less friendly ballpark, and then maybe we get screwed because 
you know, we're expecting those same kind of home runs when in reality it's probably going to be like closer to 20-something if he left. The fact that he stayed, for me, that leads me to believe that, first of all, Aaron Judge is probably going to stay as well because those two are apparently really good friends according to what I've heard uh, reported. Those two are, are really close. So that might lead Aaron Judge to come back, which would only solidify the offensive situation even more. If Rizzo stays, or I mean Rizzo did stay, but Yank, uh, but Judge leaves, that would make me not like him quite as much. But I think still we're going to be pretty safe considering the range here. He's going around pick 165 in early drafts, minimum of 118, maximum 189. That uh, that ADP feels about right. 118 feels maybe a touch too high. But I think if you're drafting him, you know, 150 to 170 kind of range, you should be pretty happy with that. And I think the Yankees are going to be pretty happy with that, uh, bringing him back. He should be able to do about what he did this season. And I think the Yankees are a team where there's a good chance that they could uh, go out and spend a bunch of money because they're just pissed off that they haven't been doing the best over this last 10 to 15 years. Maybe they re-sign Judge. Maybe they go out and get like a Trey Turner and really, I don't, I don't really expect it, but I, I think that they're going to do something. They're going to, they're not going to stop here, especially with Judge. I mean, if Judge leaves, then they're going to have to really replace him. If Judge comes back, then I think they just continue to add and make a, a championship push. So I think that the Yankees offense is probably going to be pretty safe. That's a good first sign here that Anthony Rizzo has gone back. If he left, it would probably be an indication that Judge is going to leave, and then we could pretty much write off the Yankees offensively there at that point because we're not going to trust D.J. LeMahieu and Glaber Torres and Josh Donaldson to carry the torch there for us offensively in New York. But I do think that this, this is a good move, and I think more importantly for fantasy purposes, it is an indication that Judge is likely going to come back. So overall, I think it's a good move fantasy-wise and, of course, uh, for, for Anthony Rizzo. I think it makes a lot of sense. Now, a couple of guys I want to mention here, Jock Peterson. We talked about him yesterday, about how I'm not really sure about his value next season. We don't know where he's going to go. Pretty much as soon as I released the episode, he signed, or he uh, opted in, I should say, to his um, qualifying offer, which I believe was $19 million. Yeah, one year, $19.6 million. Makes a lot of sense that he did. And I think that we're probably a little more confident than we were yesterday. I think, you know, he's going to play a similar role to what he did this year. Even though I don't think it's the most sustainable uh, going forward for Jock Peterson, I think, first of all, like that batting average is going to come back down a little bit. Um, the home runs, everything else should probably be close to similar to what we saw this year. I think they're going to keep him in a, probably a similar role. My big worry was he goes to a different team, different role completely, and then we might see, you know, something completely different happen. If he went to Toronto or something, or if he went to wherever and he has to platoon, uh, which he's going to do still a bit, but I mean, he played 134 games this season. You have to expect he's going to be somewhere in that ballpark if he's healthy. So my, my concerns from yesterday about Jock Peterson have been alleviated a little bit here by him going back, staying in the same situation. Usually you're going to expect kind of similar results. I don't think the team is going to be that different next year. Uh, I think that we'll probably see something very similar with probably a lesser batting average, but everything else, um, I think that we're going to be okay with Jock Peterson. A little more so than yesterday anyway. And his ADP of 267 definitely feels a little bit better. At that point, I think I'd be more inclined to take him. Still not a huge fan next year, but I'd definitely be more inclined to take him. The last guy we'll talk about today, Martin Perez. He also opted into his qualifying offer. Pretty much everybody declined. Uh, Swanson did, Contreras, Trey Turner... Rodon, uh, DeGrom, Bassett, Nemo, 
Bogarts, all these guys, Aaron Judge, they declined their qualifying offers. But Perez and Peterson, it certainly made sense for them to opt into it. Now, Martin Perez is still not somebody that I'm going to be interested in next season. Uh, I'm going to just pull up his ADP because I forget exactly where it is, but it's probably going to be too high for me. Um, wow, it's at 320. It's actually not too bad. Maybe I'm all right with it there, um, but it's still probably not something I'm going to be buying into too much. Not to the same extent as Tyler Anderson, but Martin Perez had one of those miracle seasons, and I don't know how likely it is that he's going to be able to repeat that. At his age, you you know you don't usually change your colors so much. He had really good control this year, which is not something that we've typically seen from him so much. Um, but I mean, I just can't expect it going forward. He's been a guy who's been a plus a four or above ERA guy every year of his career, going back to 2013 when he was 3.62 ERA. Every other year, he's above four. So I don't think we can expect much, even though he's going back to the same environment. Uh, I think he was pretty lucky this season. And whatever it was exactly, there's a long layoff in the offseason. I don't know that we can say he's going to do the same thing again. And I'm glad that the price is reflective of that uh, going down around 320 is is probably about fine for Martin Perez. No massive changes because he went back here. Um, I mean, maybe if he went and signed with the Dodgers or something, you would have moved him up. But I think you probably keep him right about where he is going back to Texas. Minimum pick, 267, a little bit rich, uh, maximum 385, which at that point, sure. If he's going close to three or close to 400, sure, I, I don't have much of a problem with it. I don't think that we can expect too much, but maybe he can be like a 375 ERA guy, which would be fine. There's just not a lot to fall back on for him. Uh, not really big strikeout numbers. It was the, his career high in strikeouts this year in terms of strikeout percentage, 20.6. I just don't know that there's really much to love there outside of, yeah, he had a good season last year. So if you get to Martin Perez, if you're pushing pick 400, I'm not terribly opposed to it, but standard 10 and 12 team leagues, I don't think there's much point in drafting him there. Guys, that's going to wrap it up for us today. I really wanted to just go over some of these breaking news things that happened over the last day, specifically Teoscar Hernandez, because that one is just heartbreaking right now. Uh, maybe the Jays will do something big with that with that space, with that uh, availability in right field now, with the money they freed up. I saw someone point out on Twitter that we shouldn't be happy with professional organizations shedding money because these guys are owned by billionaires, billionaire corporations. Uh, we shouldn't really worry about these guys shaving seven million, eight million bucks or whatever. But if it makes them, you know, a better team in the long run, I guess I don't really care. It just hurts to see a guy like Teoscar go, especially because his last game at Toronto, he had a couple of bombs against Seattle. It all just sucks. But that will that will do it for us for today. We're gonna pick up with the outfielders again tomorrow, unless there's more massive news overnight, and then maybe we'll recap again. Uh, but we will continue going through those mid-round picks in the outfield. We'll do it for another few days, and then, of course, we're going to pick up with our pitching reviews next week. So, guys, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen. Uh, leaving a kind review would also go quite a ways for us as we're trying to expand our audience here a little bit. Also, go ahead, follow on Twitter, Ethos Fantasy BB, E-T-H-O-S, Fantasy BB. That's where all of our new podcast articles, Twitter content, the works, it'll all be released on that account. So, please make sure you're following Never miss any of our stuff. Guys, that will do it. Take care and enjoy the news cycle. Cheers.
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.